you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. The fall came on our calendar a couple weeks ago, but it didn't arrive in our uh, weather until Friday, I think. And so, um, you know, fall is a, is a time where a lot of families will take family portraits because they got these great, you know, colorful leaves and backgrounds. And, you know, we love, we love our family portraits. And, um, and I think, you know, about those, you get, you get all dressed up, you get, you get, uh, all this, all the uh, hair combed and, you know, everybody looking good, smiles, and, uh, put them on the wall. And the thing is about those family photos is unfortunately they don't want to always tell the whole story about what's going on behind the smiles. You know, family is hard. Whether you live in Brazil or America. You know, what, what, what should be the most loving, supportive, fruitful environment to live in is exactly the opposite for many, if not most, people. It's so messed up. You know, what? where there should be support, there's just strife. Where there should be love, there's abuse. Where there should be trust, there's suspicion. Where there should be life, there's just expressions of death. What happened? We've fallen and we can't get up. You know, this idea of family was God's idea. He's the one that came up with it. He was the one that said, let's put human beings in this structure we call family and we'll, we'll, we'll start with a marriage where two people come together in covenant love and they know me and then they have children. You know, the purpose of marriage was to produce godly offspring, the Bible tells us. So that was God's plan. Set man and families that Kids could grow up and come to know Him and worship Him. It was God's design that a man would marry a woman, have children, and they could tell them about God. In turn, know Him. They, in turn, would know Him, grow up and do the same. Well, obviously, things haven't gone as planned. And the reason that we point to is the the fall of mankind in the garden. And you know... When God set everything in motion, Satan was there. And Jesus said about Satan that his mission was to kill and steal and destroy life. And so when he saw what God's plans were to grow the kingdom of God on earth, he began to attack it. He began to come after the family, and we see Satan's strategy every day in our lives. Well, Solomon's wisdom for the family is a lot of related to reversing the damage that has been done when we bring two sinners together in a covenant 
relationship and they in turn have sinful offspring and things begin to go downhill from there. Family, it takes a lot of shapes and sizes. We see it just about every different kind of family you can imagine. It doesn't always look like that picture that, that I have before you. Sometimes there's just one parent there because of death or divorce. Sometimes there's a new parent there and new kids there because of divorce and now there's been a remarriage and then there's a blended family. Sometimes there's foster kids there or adopted kids because mom or dad left or died. All of these kinds of family structures are kinds of family structures that God would bless and that he would use to grow the kingdom. But today, we've got other kinds of families. People coming together, uh, like uh, the same-sex parents come together, and they have children, they adopt children, and they bring them into their home. But these are not the kinds of family structures that God would bless, because they are centered around the nucleus of, of behavior that God has condemned. And so since God has said it's not okay, we can't say it's okay. And that goes for any other kind of family structure that varies from his def- definition. You know, there's three parent families today. And, and there's been around for a long time. One husband, many, many wives. All of those things we cannot say are okay. How do we right the ship? How do we rescue God's vision for the family? Where marriage is a picture of Jesus' sacrificial love for us. And children are growing up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How do we rescue that? There's only one answer. And his name is Jesus Christ. When you make Jesus the center of your Marriage relationship, the center of your home, both husband and wife bowing the knee to his leadership. When you do that, good things are going to come to pass. When you make your family about Christ, when you put him in the center of everything, the way your calendar runs, the way your money runs, when you do that, you are providing the best opportunity for them to grow up and know him and love him and follow him for the rest of their life. When he becomes the center. Now I promise you this. It is not going to be picture perfect. But it is going to be beautiful. A beautiful picture of love and grace and mercy and growth and good. I want, I want to tell you this morning that there is no marriage that Jesus cannot bring to life. There is no family mess that he cannot redeem and begin to use to propagate life and faith on the earth. Not one single situation. Solomon, he's got wisdom for us to help us fight an enemy who is after our families and our marriages. And it will be wisdom that helps us get in sync with the creator of family and marriage. To receive it, we got to ask God to help us receive it. Because we're living in a world that has gone way, way, way far away from it. So let's pray before we dive in here. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. And we think about um, the family today and um, the idea that you had uh, to start the world, to grow society based on marriage and the family. And Lord, we have fallen far 
from what that looks like way back then. And it didn't take very long in the Bible to see how far it fell. And today we're living in that environment where the challenge is there for us to uh, follow you in ways that are so countercultural they seem wrong. But today, Lord, I pray that as we just look at these words of wisdom for our marriages, for our families, uh, that you would stir in us a surrender of our hearts and lives to you. That you'd pour out your grace and mercy on us for things that have happened in our families that are painful and are still causing problems. That you would today uh, make this a day at Living Streams where you rescue marriages, where you rescue and redeem families, and that they would take steps today to follow you and the pattern that you've laid out for our lives. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given me to preach this word today. It has shown me where I am not measuring up at home with my wife and kids. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I needed to thank God for that because this is so hard. And I'm like, God, why do you have me do this? You know, it's like, but you know, that's why I needed to thank him for it. Because I haven't been so thankful. At the center of most of the things we call family is a relationship based on a promise. And if you want to break up a family, the best way to do that is to get the, the promise broken. That this man and woman make to each other. On their wedding day. And so for us, if we want to combat that, the thing we need to do is protect the promise. Protect the promise we made to our spouse that says to uh, love until death do us part. You know, when we think about divorce in in our world today, it's so very common. And uh, it's done so much damage to the family. Um, The Bible says that God hates divorce. Now I will tell you this, God does not hate divorced people. But he hates divorce. Why does he hate it? Because it mars the image of his love and how he loves us. And it causes wounds in people and couples and kids that make it hard for them to overcome and hard for them to trust him, hard for them to love him. I said last week that money was the the biggest uh, reason couples get divorced. Well, infidelity runs a neck and neck with with money at causing divorce in our our world. So what we've got to do is we've got to protect this promise that we made to our spouse. And so by and large, that means I want to to speak now to the married men that are here this morning. See, God has called us to lead our wives in two ways. Protection and provision. Those are the two ways. And one of your wife's greatest needs is security. To feel safe in your arms. You know, we live in a world where we hear about divorce all the time. We hear about extramarital affairs all the time. Dude, you do not want to assume that the promise you made on your wedding day is still good enough that your wife is banking on that promise. You don't want to live your life 
say, well, I promised I'd love you forever back then and then not be living every single day making that promise stronger. If you were Satan and you wanted married couples to break their promise to each other, what would you do? Knowing that a wife's, one of the wife's greatest needs is security and one of the husband's greatest needs is sex. So if you were Satan, what would you do? How would you tempt the husband? Doesn't take rocket scientists to figure that out, does it? Well, Solomon, he wrote this in Proverbs 5, 15 to 17. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets and have sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Dude, these verses give us a defense for how to protect the promise we've made to our spouse. I mean, it flat out tells us that there's going to be other women in our lives that are going to be tempting. They're going to be all over the place. Cisterns that we could go drink from. And the fact that they're forbidden makes them all the more attractive. It is near impossible to walk around in this world as a man and not let your eyes wander. It's near impossible to do that anywhere you go. But listen to me, it is not your eyes that get you in trouble. It is when your mind lingers with what you see. So you see this cistern, but instead of your mind walking away with your feet, it sticks around. And it imagines going and taking a drink. What would it be like to go and take a drink out of this other cistern? So your eyes are going to see it. It's how you were made. But your mind doesn't have to taste it. Because that is when you begin to weaken the promise you've made to your wife. When you let it happen up here. That is when you begin to make the promise you've made vulnerable to break. Now sexual brokenness has been around since the beginning of the Bible. It doesn't take very long to read about it, about what sin has done. And it's still around today, still causing all kinds of problems. And, you know, it just boggles my mind to think about the, the statistics of the sex trafficking industry. You know, where um, girls are, are taken away from their families. This happens all over the world and they're basically put in bondage selling their bodies to, to men. Hope Center India, a ministry that we, we support, Pastor Hubert leads that ministry. It exists, its very existence proves that there is a demand from men in the world to drink water from other cisterns than their own. There's a demand for that in men. You know how to become one of those men? Be a regular consumer of pornography. Constantly consume fantasy cisterns. You know, over 60% of Christian men are drinking from the fantasy of these cisterns. And those are just the ones that are willing to admit it. You know, those, those cisterns are just a few clicks away on our phones 
and on our computers. Causing all kinds of problems in marriages, not to mention our relationship with God. John Piper says when we view pornography, it just freezes our soul toward him. And I tell you, I know there's lots of rationalization that goes on to excuse this secret sin. Uh, But I'll tell you this, Jesus gives us no room for it in our lives, men. He said that if we look at another woman with lust in our eyes, we are having adultery with her in our heart. So there's no room for this in our lives. No room. So using pornography to satisfy your sexual thirst is the same to God as homosexual behavior. It's sexual immorality. So dude, understand this. Pornography doesn't just impact you. It impacts your wife. Even though it is fantasy, it is satisfying a thirst that you have. And if you're not thirsty for intimacy at home, you won't drink there. And if you do go drink there, your your idea about what that drink should be like is so warped and confused and, and polluted, it won't satisfy you. It's an evil that, that Satan has put in our lives. And we've got to fight it. Listen to Solomon today. Listen to him. And just confess that you cannot beat this evil in your life by yourself. You can't do it, men. You cannot beat it. Confess. It's not what God would want that you to have in your life. Confess it. It's not the life He wants you to live. And recognize that you are weakening the promise that you made on your wedding day. And she cannot figure out why you don't want her. Why you are a couch potato. Why you are a zombie in your home. I will tell you this, if you want freedom from pornography today, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about it. And immediately, when light shines into that dark part of your life, and I know it's hard, but when light shines into that dark part of your life, Satan starts to lose The battle begins there, but Satan starts to lose. Now, why did I end up here? Because I truly believe that it is the number one problem you have in your marriage, man, if you are a regular consumer of pornography. And if you don't do something about it, eventually it's going to destroy you. It'll take everything you hold dear in your life. It will steal your marriage. It will do all the damage you do not want done. So men, if you need help here, tell me. And we will work together to find freedom. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. 
She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breath satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. So dude, this is how we go on offense to protect the promise. Right here. Obvious instruction there to channel all your sexual energies toward your wife. And if there's problems there, there's also help you can find there. You know, that can start with just having the courage to have an honest, open conversation with your wife about your sexual life. And that's a hard thing to do. But you know what? So much good can come from just having a conversation about it. And it opens the doors of putting God's wisdom to work in your marriage to protect the promise. There's lots of books that you can read together that will you know, give you some help. There's people you can talk to if you need to do that. But listen, I want to encourage you men. You take the lead in this. Take a step today to make your promise stronger. Go on offense. Because Satan, he's after you. Now, this isn't just about the marriage bed. Your wife... Gave you her heart on your wedding day. And you've got to tend her heart. You've got to tend it. And so right here, he talks about make your wife a fountain of blessing in your life. How do you do that? Well, I would suggest to you, you just start making a list of all the ways your wife blesses you. Just, you know, today when you go home, just start writing the list down. Get a couple pieces of paper because it's going to take front and back, couple couple sides. And then every single day, you just want to thank her for one of those things on the list. And she will become a fountain of blessing in your life. Solomon says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. So what that can mean for you is to find joy in her. So see the gifts that she has. See what she does and rejoice in that. Find joy in that. You know how you can do that? You tell other people about her. And it's like icing on the cake when you can do that and she's present. Hey, Lori. Lori. (laughs) She just left. She knows what's coming. You want to know something about my Lori? For the last 22 years of our marriage, she has been teaching our kids. She has taught them how to read, every single one of them. She has taught them mathematics, history, science, worldview, Bible, home economics. She's taught every single grade from kindergarten all the way to seniors. We've graduated four from our home school. Two of them has college degrees. One of them is halfway there, and the other one is just getting started on that road. Lori has been guidance counselor to all of our kids. She's given them advice on careers and music and hobbies and friends and all of those things. And she's doing all of that while keeping our home and everything that goes along with that. You can read about my wife in the Bible You'll find her in Proverbs 31. And I'm not even joking. She told me this morning it would be 100% better if I didn't do that. 
I said, can't do it, honey, sorry. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And it also says to be captivated by her love. Other translations say be intoxicated by her. So dude, that means you can drink her up all you want. Be intoxicated by her love. Find that romantic bone in your body and pour it out on her. Take her on a date. Listen to her talk. Hear what she's worried about. You tell her what you're worried about. Share your fears. Share your dreams. Share your heart with her. Do all of those things. I know she's not the same woman that you know you married at the altar. She's better. You can find that out if you start protecting the promise that you made to her, man. Now, wise, you're not exempt from this wisdom either because it takes two to tango. He might need a second chance for the hundredth time. (laughs) But listen, if the Lord stirs in your husband today toward love and good works toward you, trust him, respect him, and receive what he wants to give you. Because it takes two to fight this battle to protect that promise. Listen to the wisdom of God through Solomon today for your marriage. Satan hates your marriage. He is wanting it to fail. What are you going to do about it? Now as a result of that fall in the garden, God placed... A curse on man and woman. And that continues to be a source of pain in our lives today. In our lives and marriages. And one of the things that God pronounced over the woman was in Genesis 3.16. It says, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And so this day, you can see the result of that curse in marriages. Instead of a wife complimenting her husband's leadership, she wants to control him. Instead of a husband caring... For his wife, with the position and strength God has given him, he crushes her spirit. So this struggle, it's real, and it exists in every marriage, and it will be there your whole married life, to one degree or another. Now listen, only Jesus can reverse the curse of the garden as he works in our hearts to cause us to love like he loves And so this friction in marriage, it strikes at the heart of the environment that our family lives in. And so we got to work together, husband and wife, to keep the peace in our home. No less than five times does Solomon say something like Proverbs 21.9. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a loving, lovely home. Now, just like security is a high need for wives, peace is a high need for husbands. It's a big need. And Solomon apparently felt that five times. Talks about the quarrelsome wife. Other words for quarrelsome would be nagging, contentious, or brawling. But what they all speak about is a fight. A fight that's going on 
inside the wife that comes out. And it could be a fight for love and acceptance and value and significance. All things that husbands should be giving to the wife, but all too often are withheld. Are withheld. And then she goes about looking them, looking for that from other places, or she trying to get it out of him. So quarrels happen. Sometimes the fight that's going on in wives is for the position uh, that the husband has. It's a, it's a power struggle. And so the wife wants to lead in the marriage instead of uh, the husband. Um, if, you're, if you're there, you're living out the words of the curse, uh, wanting to control your husband, and he's going to respond in one of two ways. Your husband will. He will either run to the couch and be the zombie, trying to find the peace that he's wanting. Or he will rule over you to try to find that peace. Either way, you won't find it. It'll be elusive in your home. So you've got to work together at keeping the peace. Uh, so that takes getting down to the root of, of the fight. What's fueling the fight in a wife? First Peter 3.7 says, Men... Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so that means that if you've got a, if your wife likes to fight, you gotta find out why. It's your responsibility, men, to find out what's going on inside of her that causes this quarrel to happen. And so I can tell you that avoiding her will not help. Staying out late with the guys will not help. Staying late at the office will not help. Getting lost in TV and sports will not help. Just makes it worse. None of those things help you understand your wife better. Why is she unhappy? Why? Why is she angry all the time? Is there a wound from something in the past? Maybe you didn't even cause it, but something she's carrying that's causing her anger. Was she, was love withheld from her where she wasn't raised with a dad who, who, you know, poured it on her and said, you are amazing. And now she's trying to find somebody to tell her she is amazing. And it causes her to be quarrelsome. Do you treat your wife as an equal partner in your life? So she has a say in all, all the decisions that you make. About money and property and, and where you're going to live and where your kids are going to go to school and, you know, work and all of those things. Retirement. Does your wife have an equal say in that, you know, 1 Peter 3 7, it goes on, it says, she may be the weaker, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, you don't want to be the cause of the quarrel in your wife. And so often, we're the number one cause she wants to fight. We need to understand what's going on there. You know, if you've got a big decision to make, before you give any input, ask your wife what she thinks. Ask her. You know, how, do you, how should we spend our money? How should we give at church? Ask her. Get her opinion. And then tell her what you think. And talk about it and pray about it. And then make a decision. How we've got to do life. You know, feminism exists today because we have consistently got this wrong, men. 
We have consistently kept women down. There is no reason they should make less money than us. There's no reason they should not be qualified to have be a doctor or you know, all that stuff. There's no reason for that. But men, because we've been given a position of power and strength, we continually use that to keep women down instead of lifting them up. And so feminism exists. The whole drive to be significant. It's all about that. So here the, the, the deal is, man, you've got to take the first step in your marriage. It's your responsibility to take the first step to reverse the curse. To love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's on you to do. Now, wives, you've got to understand what is going on inside of me. What is fueling this fight inside of me? Do you push back against the role that God has given you in your marriage? To submit to your husband's leadership. To be a compliment to him and respect him. Are you listening to the song that the world plays that says you're only going to be valued and significant if you get a degree, you get a career, and you start competing with men out in the workplace? Are you listening to that song? Because it's loud today. In fact, you could say it's maybe the only song playing to hear unless you open the word. What does your heart do when you hear these words from Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. What does your heart do when you hear that? Are these words that are just applicable to a time gone by? You know, we don't need to pay any attention to them today. They're not about modern life. Or, ladies, are these words God's wisdom and a vision for how you can do life? As a woman under God and under your husband. What do they do? Now I, I know that I am swimming upstream against a really strong current. But remember, I'm a good swimmer. And I know this, that there's plenty of evidence to suggest that if you give your life to your family, you'll be overlooked. And if you don't stop competing with men, you'll be squashed. There's plenty of evidence for that. But I do believe that God knew what he was doing when he created our world. He created it with order. First came Adam, then came Eve. And I tell you, I believe if you'll take a step back and you'll look at the guardrails that he placed around your life, it will not be a prison. It will be protection. And it will be freedom to worship Him with your whole heart. If you and your husband would work together to live out biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, I'm telling you, there is a path to peace in your home. There is contentment in your marriage. 
by putting into practice what God has said. Now, fights, I mean, they're going to happen in your home, in your family. You know, the people that are hardest to love are the people that are closest to you because when you're with them, that's when the friction happens. You know, they're not putting the toilet paper on the roll rider. They're not squeezing the toothpaste tube from the right spot. You're supposed to squeeze it from the bottom, not from the top. Little things like that and bigger things. Fights are going to happen. If they're, happen- if they're happening a lot, you've got to work together to figure out why they're happening and try to work toward making them happen less. When, when fighting does happen, you want to go through the things you need to go through, do the right things to bring back real peace. That starts with confessing your part in the argument. It, st- it starts with saying those powerful words, I'm sorry. It starts with saying the powerful words when you're able, I forgive you. These are the things that need to happen to get to reconciliation. And then you get back to peace. Now I'll tell you, peace is not only important to your husband, but it's also important to your kids. Because they live in a world where um, half of their friends, if not more, their, their moms and dads are split up. And so the family that they grew up in is not there anymore. It's been destroyed. So your kids go to school... And they're going to hear it all the time about another family falling apart. And so, security is a high need for them. And that means peace is a high need for them. When there's fighting in your home, it just stokes the fears in your kids' hearts that my mom and dad are not going to make it. And they're going to live there. So here, I want to tell you this morning, if your fight is out in the open where your kids are hearing it or even seeing it, then your reconciliation also needs to be out in the open. So they can hear that and see that too. And if it's happening a lot and it's been a really long time, Dad, here's another step of responsibility for you. Another way you can lead. You want to call a family meeting and you want to get down on your knee before your wife and kids and you want to say, listen, I know Mom and I are having some struggles, but we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay right here and by Jesus, with Jesus' help, we're going to figure this out because we're a family. Dad, you need to do that for your kids. Maybe you need to do that for your wife too. There's a lot of work involved in keeping the peace. But if you do it together, good's going to come from it and peace is going to come from it. And it'll be worth every bit of it to make your family a happy and a healthy place to be. Now, the last bit of wisdom for your family that comes out of Proverbs is to raise the people. Raise the people. If your family family is under construction, if God has given you little people or big people that are living under your roof, your family is under construction and it's your job, mom and dad, to raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord. Because those little people, they become big people. And you want them to be people who know God and are following Him in their lives. And so what that means is, Mom and Dad, you are the absolute best people to show them how to do that. 
Now, you might scratch your head and think, well, how can that be? I mean, surely there are professionals out there who are better able to teach my kids than me. Surely there are people who have gone to school, that have degrees, that know all the things about God that they need to know. They know way more than me. How can it be that I am the best person to teach and disciple my child? Well, we think that way because all of us have been raised in the Greek system of education. And the Greek system of education is all about information. And so what we do is we take our kids and we send them to an expert in whatever subject they are an expert in to get the information that they have. And when they receive that information and can then regurgitate that information back out, we deem them educated. That's the Greek system of education. Solomon, he was raised in the Hebrew system of education where the relationship with the teacher was more important than the expertise. And so all throughout Proverbs, there are verses that say something like Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. So that's woven throughout Proverbs, this relational teaching. And so mom and dad, that is our responsibility to teach our kids about God, to tell them about Him and to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus by faith. Now, one of the ways we show them that is to protect the promise that we made to each other. Um, Your wife, your husband is not always going to be lovable, uh, but we love like Jesus loved us, right? He died for us when we were not lovable. That is showing our kids what faithful gospel love looks like. The same thing when we show them that we resolve our conflicts, we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Same thing. We're showing them how to follow Jesus. We show them that when we give them our time. Uh, When we read the Bible together, when we pray together, when we serve together. You know, mom and dad, you can bring your kids to church every single Sunday. You can bring them to youth group every single Sunday. But if you are not living at home what they are hearing at church, chances are when they grow up, they're not going to live it either. There's just no way a couple hours a week is going to beat what you show them all week long. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So when you hear that, you want to take on that responsibility, parent, to train up your child. And then you want to pray. Pray that that proverb becomes true in the life of your kid. See, parents, we are the building project coordinators of the construction project in our home. Okay, we're, we're the ones that are in charge of that. When kids are little people, you're over them. And your primary job, one of, your, one of the primary things you want to teach your kids is obedience. Obedience. So they can learn how to follow the law of God. And the, 
the thing that we do to teach obedience is, well, I'd say most commonly, we try to teach obedience with our mouth. Okay, we tell them what to do. And we don't want to, you don't want to teach obedience with your mouth. You want to teach it with your body. And so what that means is, if you tell your kid, hey, stop jumping up and down on the bed, and they don't stop jumping up and down on the bed, then you got to stop what you're doing, and you got to go into the bedroom, and you got to stop them from jumping up and down on the bed. And the more that you do that, the more they're going to know that you mean what you say, and they'll start obeying when you tell them what to do most of the time. Doesn't that make sense? But we just keep trying to talk our kids into obedience. And it just creates chaos for you and everybody else around you. Proverbs 13.24 says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Wow, that's not a word. I mean, listen to that. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. That's not what the world tells us. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Now, the rod of discipline doesn't necessarily have to be a spanking. Okay? I mean, it can be a lot of different things, and that all kind of depends on your kid. Uh, I I could send Gavin up to his room and tell him to stay locked in his room alone for an hour, and he's beating on the door, crying, wanting to get out. I'm like, all his toys are in his room. You know? But no, no. Because that's the way he was made. I spanked Gavin more than any other kid I had. It didn't work. You've got to be smart with spanking. It's useful at times. Um, discipline can be like when your, your, uh, your, girl, your girl is having problems practicing her piano. And you told her, you know, you need to practice an hour or half an hour, whatever it was. And if you don't practice your piano for half an hour, we're not going to say anything about it. We're done talking about it. We're just going to take one of your Barbies. I did that one time, and I never had to worry about her practicing her piano ever again. Casey loved her Barbies. She actually asked me when I had to go get it, can I pick which one you take, you know? Discipline. Customized discipline. The trick is when they're little people, apply the discipline. So when they're big people, they will apply it themselves. When they get older, it's time to stop making them do what you want them to do. And that's when it's time to start talking to them about how to do it. So we get that backwards all the time. We're trying to talk to our little kids and we're trying to sit on our big kids. And we need to reverse that. We need to sit on the little kids and talk to the big people. And so think of it as positional parenting. I like to think of it this way. Maybe I'll write a book one day. I don't know. I don't know. Shane might buy it. Um, 
<laughs> he won't buy it either. He's seen what a mess. But it, anyway, um, so when, when, when they're little, you're on top of your kids. That's the position you are in. When they start to grow up, 10 or 11, that's when you start to move to the side of your kid and you have more conversations and you're more of a life coach at that point in their, in their life. When they get to be like 18 years old and they're starting to venture out into the world, then you want to move behind your kid and you become a counselor. And they're going out and they're coming back and you're talking about life and you're talking about all this stuff you taught them and you're having those conversations. When you launch them into the world, then you become a consultant. And consultants only give advice when they're sought. And I'm finding out, we're finding out that it is kind of hard to be a, a parent to big people. I still want to be the coach. I still want to direct how life goes now that they're out from under my roof. I still want them to come back and ask me, you know, hey, how do I do this? But that's not how it works. I've taken them as far as I can take them. They need to go do some life underneath somebody else who will take them farther and in different ways. And they'll keep growing. Consultants don't call the shots anymore. They only give advice when... When uh, they're sought out. So mom and dad, the goal is to launch them, to let them go, to let them make their own decisions, regardless of those decisions. So you become their biggest cheerleader, you become their biggest prayer warrior, and you trust the principles of this book. And you trust that the gospel that has been planted in their heart will bear fruit in their lives. Let's have Shane come back up. Hey, you still want to still work with me here? There's a proverb, Proverbs 23, verse 26, that says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. You know, 25 years ago, I responded to a call to give my heart to Jesus, to trust him with my heart and my life. Now, at the time, I had um, been married five years and I had two kids and I had done lots of damage to the promise that I had made at my wedding day. And I, I know without the shadow of a doubt that w- but for Jesus coming into my life and changing my heart, I would have destroyed my life with my selfishness. I can tell you that for a fact. What happened after that was not picture perfect, but it, and it's not today. But God has been faithful to us. He has kept His promises to us. He has, he has rescued us. He has redeemed us. He has restored us. And when I look at the life back, when I look back, I see much blessing and beauty from God's, following God's ways. Much blessing and beauty. And so you're sitting here today, you hear all this wisdom from Proverbs. What kind of changes would need to happen in your life today and in your family if you heard God say to you from Proverbs 23:26, My son, my daughter, give me your heart. What kinds of things would change? What would change if you said, we're going to make God's word the guardrails for how we do life? Not the values of the world, but the values of of the word. What would change in your life today? Now you might think, hey, it's too late. You know, the kids are grown. The marriage is broken. The mess I made, I cannot clean up. I, I, I want to encourage you today that it is never too late to trust Jesus with your life. Amen. It's never too late to give him your heart. 
and believe that he can redeem the years the locusts ate. It's never too late. There's no mess he can't clean up. There's no life he will not come into. See, he's the one that has the power to reverse the curse of the garden. He is the only one who conquered the death that we bring into our lives through the sins that we commit. He's the only one. There's nowhere else you can go. So you have to respond to, to that call. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. It's just, you trust him with everything. It's a, it's a big step. But when you do that, he will begin to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will rescue, he will redeem, he will restore. Can you hear him call you this morning? Can you hear him call for your heart? You can't take this wisdom home without him. Because you can try to apply it, but it won't work. He's the only one that causes you to love like he does. So husbands, listen, has the promise weakened today? Is it weaker today than it was on your wedding day? Are the secret sins of your life eroding the intimacy with your wife? Listen to Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Turn away today, man. Wives, is this fight in your life about control or significance? Give your heart to the Lord. Because He will fight your battles. He will fight for you. Surrender to His will, to His ways, and watch what He will do. And then together, husband and wife, you can build a home that will be a beautiful thing. It will not be picture perfect, but it will be beautiful. It will be light in this dark world. It will be a shelter in the storm. It will be peace in the chaos that is the life that we live. It will be that. And if you got little people or big people under your roof, keep applying God's wisdom. God has given you a job to do, to launch them into the world for His glory. So you know what? All I want to say is God brings beauty from ashes. Beauty from ashes, the Bible says. He is able. Let's believe that together today. Let's stand and sing that together today. He is able. If you need to take a step of surrender today, if... If God has placed that before you today, I want to open this altar up and take a step out. It'll change your life. It could change the whole way life is going today. Take a step out and trust Him with your heart. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. It's a beautiful song. Believe it. Hey, Lori. Could you pray? Close our service. I could. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are so good to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for having a plan for each of us, whether we are in nuclear families or whether we are not 
Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us alone. Thank you for this church family that you've put us in, Father. And I ask that you would help us to love each other just by all these same principles that we just heard today, that we would be full of grace, that we would go after each other in love, Lord, that we would seek to glorify you first and foremost. So I ask you to bless each one of us this week, Father. Help our hearts and our spirits to say yes to you every day this, this week. In Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen. Amen.